0: Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Of course, since it's Valentine's Day, I had to do a little research of my own because I was interested to find out what were some of the most popular love songs of all time. I know the list. I'm gonna test you just a little bit. Um, if you agree that this sho- this song should be on the list, maybe you could just wave your hand with me, but I heard the song, At Last, by the great Etta James. Okay, you agree with me. Um, what is the, uh, God bless the broken road. Have you ever heard that one? It's a very popular wedding song. Um, I heard, uh, what's it called, You Look Wonderful Tonight? Or The Way You Look Tonight? Yeah, Eric Clapton, Wonderful Tonight. Endless Love by the beautiful, amazing Mariah Carey. Or Lionel, I prefer the Mariah Carey version showing my age, because I'm young. (laughs) Um, Another one is Unchained Melody. I don't know how I feel about that one. I mean, Ghost was not a romance to me at 12 years old. It horrified me, actually. I still don't understand how that's a love a love movie or a love story, whatever, cool. Um, then, number one. Oh, wait, here's another one, Take My Breath Away. I love that one, do you remember that one? Made popular by none other than Top Gun. So you have to have your references, okay. But number one, I mean, it's the obvious one and you could probably say it with me. I will always love you. Yeah. So we've got some people who agree. How many of you, was that your song? Was it? I have one hand, one taker. Anybody else? Anybody? No? Okay, okay. That's a great one. A little overplayed, but it's still great. I would like to let you guys know the year was 1996 and we had been dating for what about a year come Valentine's or come you know around that time and the song that somehow just landed you know you don't have to explain your love song to anybody or your song. It could just be your song. It could have come on at a specific time, the first time he said, I love you, or the first time you sh- held hands or shared a kiss or whatever. I can't remember how this ended up being our love song. And we certainly didn't think of, think it through with it being our song that we danced to at our wedding because the beats per minute are a little strange. What is it? High, yeah, it's high. <laughs> um, but it's none other then the song, I Love You Always Forever. Anybody remember that song? Probably not because <laughs> it's not very popular, but it was in 1996 and so was Blockbuster Video. So was Downtown Disney, do not mistake, the fact that it used to be called Downtown Disney. Half of it was Downtown Disney, half of it was Pleasure Island. It was a thing in 1996. You know what else was a thing in 1996? The Osceola Square Mall. Yes, it was. And it didn't just have one movie theater, it had two. (laughs) That's where I saw Titanic three times. Yes. (laughs) So that's our love song. I love you always forever. So, in honor of Valentine's Day and in honor of my Valentine, I've entitled this teaching, Always Forever. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to gather together. We certainly don't take it lightly. And we thank you, Lord, that you have chosen to come and gather in our midst. Your presence is felt when we come with purpose to honor you. Lord, you can begin even now to move all across this room and all across the homes and and, and those who are watching online, that you can even now, Holy Spirit, begin to move, begin to shift things, begin to change things, begin to challenge us, begin to rearrange our lives all for the good and so that we can honor you all We're available. We say, yes, Lord. In Jesus' name, and all who agree, can you say amen? Amen. Always, forever. So, as our backdrop, we're going to take a look at the life of King Saul. Are you familiar with his story? If you know much about the Old Testament, you already know that Saul's reputation precedes himself that what we know of King Saul is that he actually was an evil king. Are you following me? But do you know that he wasn't always an evil man? Actually, at one time, he was God's chosen king. Yes, the people complained, yes, they demanded, but God ultimately decided. God had Samuel anoint him king of Israel put his blessing on him, put his anointing on him, put his call and his hand on his life in a supernatural way. Before he became evil, he was good in God's eyes. He was the right man for the job. And if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, if you have been around church life for any amount of time, it's actually really troubling and sad to realize that we have seen a lot of souls in our day. Did you grow up in youth group? I did. I went to soul fire. I went to ski invasion. I went to moments in God's presence with the youth I was surrounded by. They heard the same sermons as me they worshiped to the same songs as me, they cried the same tears as me, had a move of God, an opportunity, and some of them are nowhere to be found. Youth that I looked at and I thought, that is the next Billy Graham, and they may have been. If you've been in church life as an adult, it's really no different. People that stood next to you People who heard the same messages, sang the same songs, had the same opportunity for the same revelation, and they're nowhere to be found. And a lot of people want to point the finger at the church. Not our church specifically, but we're part of the church. They want to point the finger and say, they should have had this ministry if they would have had this kind of pastor if they would have had this kind of opportunity. But I want to challenge you, and I'm not being hard as your pastor. I'm actually trying to show you something kind and loving so that you don't fall in the same situation and follow in the same footsteps. Saul had every opportunity to do what God had destined him to do. Samuel was a close confidant to Saul, and Samuel could hear directly from the throne room. All Saul had to do was lean in to the wisdom that Samuel had and then follow what he said, follow what God told him to do. It is not a church's job. I won't point my finger because I don't want you to think this is judgment. This is me too. This is all of us. It is not a church's job, it is not a pastor's job to hold your hand and help you walk your faith out. No more than a parent, when your child graduates high school and they go off to college, you can't hold their hand and go with them to their psychology class. Or when they say, I do in a marriage, you say, I do too. (laughs) some of you think you did that, stop meddling, but no more than you can walk with them through every detail of their lives, all you know to do and all you can do is hope you sowed enough seeds, gave them enough instruction and pointed them the way to Jesus. That is a church's responsibility. That is a pastor's responsibility and it is the greatest privilege of my life, is to point you directly to Jesus so that you can walk out your faith, so that you can lean into the voice of wisdom and instruction and not have the same outcome that Saul did. He knew better. Have you ever said that? Have you ever said it about yourself? He knew better. He had every opportunity. So what I want to help you with today and what I want us to learn together today is how to stay in love with God, how to have a connected, continuous, healthy relationship with your heavenly father. It's not through someone else because there will come a a divine opportunity in every person's life for you to choose one way or the other. It's what happens when your kids grow up. It's what what makes some people scratch their heads and literally plead to the Lord day in and day out. God, I don't know what went wrong. I don't know where we went wrong. I don't know why they're not serving you. There comes a moment of accountability in each of our lives where we have to choose one path or the other. Maybe many, many, many moments, but that first one is very pivotal, and I have some free advice for parents. Is that okay? I recently heard someone say that they were really troubled that their child didn't want to go to church, and I was like, oh, wow, Um, okay, how old are they? And they were like eight, and I was like, wow, okay, well, for starters, I actually heard a really amazing pastor who was a pastor's kid. Someone asked him, what made the difference for you deciding to serve God once you were out of your parents' home and attend church? What was the key that your parents did or what did they do right? And he said, easy. They didn't give me a choice. <laughs> easy. Easy. They didn't give me a choice. This isn't just good parenting advice. This is also good life advice. (laughs) Because there are some things that are fundamentally what we need and who we have to be as Christians. Gathering together, coming into community, being in the house of worship, reading our Bibles, praying, all of those things, they're non-negotiables. And until my ch- my children are 18 years old and out of my house, well, actually I'll say until they move out on their own and they're mature enough, they're going to church. They don't get a vote. And it's not because we're pastors. It's because we're Christians. And I want to show them and model to them that this is a priority. Our feelings don't dictate what we do. If they did, we would all live very destructive lives because our feelings are very futile. None of this is in my notes, and I'm gonna to get to it now, okay? <laughs> Just a lot of pent up study time and all kinds of stuff to say. So, always forever, that's my title. So we're talking about Saul. This is the pivotal moment in his life. This is where it all goes wrong, but it could have gone so right. In 1 Samuel 15, I'll go ahead and paraphrase for the sake of time. Samuel hears very clear instructions of what God wants to do through Saul. He says, gather all of your troops. Specifically, he says, gather all of your troops and go to the Amalekites and destroy them All. All means all, even in the Old Testament. Just want to make sure we're all on the same page. He's very clear and says, destroy them all and take nothing for yourselves. So what does Saul do? Saul takes his armies, destroys the Amalekites, but he keeps king. What's his name? Agat, how do you say it? Is it Ahab or Ab? I can't even remember his name now. Anyway, they keep the king, Agag. I knew it was weird. I knew it wasn't Ahab. (laughs) Okay, Agag. I don't even want to say that. It's probably why I like took it out of my brain because it's a really bad name. So the king, he keeps the king alive, puts him in prison, and then he tells all of his men to keep the best sheep, the best goats, the best rams, as a burnt offering for the Lord at a later time. So he had what I would call selective listening. Anyone know what that, if you're married, say amen. (laughs) I'm just kidding. If you have kids say amen. Yeah, that's probably more like it. But for your relationship with the Lord to be healthy, to be fruitful, to continue, to endure. Unlike Saul's, we have to be willing to listen. Okay, that's my first point. It is an acronym, it does spell love, but it's Valentine's Day. L (laughs) is for listen. The exact thing Saul did not do. Excuse me, I'm sorry. The exact thing Saul did not do. He partially listened. He carried out some of what God said, but he did not do exactly what God said. Listen, because the first thing I notice in this story is that Saul seems hard of hearing. Anything Samuel said was as clear and reliable as a direct word from God. And Saul heard, get this, what he wanted to hear. He heard a version of the truth. He carried out a version of what God spoke. Not exactly what God said. He had selective listening. It's pivotal in this moment because there's a clear difference in the way Saul listens and Samuel. Because Samuel, just a few chapters before, is the one that as a little boy living in the priest's home, Eli. He's sleeping one night as a young child. And he hears someone call his name, Samuel, Samuel. He gets up, he runs to Eli. He says, here I am. And Eli says, I didn't call you, go back to bed. A second time, a third time, he he hears his name being called. And Eli realizes what's happening. And he says to Samuel, go back to bed. Surely it's the Lord speaking to you. Say to him, here I am, your servant is listening. So Samuel goes back to his room and sure enough, the Lord calls his name again, and he says, here I am, your servant is listening. And get this, what God tells Samuel is actually very hard. It's correction that he then, the next day, to the man he admires and looks up to, he has to tell Eli that God has cut him off and that he is no longer going to be blessed. Samuel had every opportunity to dilute that just a little bit to say the truth in love in his own way or 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 to change it just a little bit so that it was a little bit easier for Eli to receive no that's not what he did he spoke exactly what God had said and because he did so God's blessing never left Samuel God elevated him. God used him. And that's the difference when we listen. Speak because your servant hears. Are you listening? And if you're not listening to God, you're listening to something. Your your ear is inclined to something opinions of others, the media influencers, my gosh, hello, can you do some fact-checking? (laughs) I was like, (laughs) there's just noise all around, but there's only one voice that matters. There's only one voice that can give us clear instruction as to what our lives should look like, how to get to our destiny, how to accomplish God's will. Speak, your servant hears. Be a Samuel and listen. If you want a thriving relationship with the Lord, that's a difference maker. You have to listen. Thanks. Oh, like I said, it spells love. We're allowed to do cheesy things on Valentine's, right? I'm glad you agree. Oh. Oh obedience. We've been preaching on this a lot lately. I think God really wants us to get it. Is that okay with you? It's okay with me because I need it. Obedience. Verse nine in this whole situation with Saul says, however, Saul and his men, this is what he did wrong kept the best of the sheep and oxen and the fattest of the lambs. Everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. Saul didn't trust or believe that if he obeyed God fully, that God would actually take care of him. He withheld and took the things that appealed to him because he had self-preservation in mind. And he did not trust that if he carried out exactly what God told him to do and was fully obedient, that God would have a blessing on the other side even greater than what he kept for himself. And you know what? He actually caused all of the men who were following him to miss out on their blessing too. And I think that's very tragic. And I think that that speaks to us as leaders. I think that speaks to us as Christians and examples. It speaks to us as parents. That we have to be very careful that our lives are in obedience, in line with what God wants. Not withholding. Not hoarding. Because listen, your beliefs will determine your actions every time. If you do not, just like Saul, he did not believe that God would take care of him. So he acted on that in disobedience. If you do not believe that your father in heaven has your best interest in mind, you will act on that every time. You will go right into the same mode that Saul did in self-preservation mode. Because you know what? If you truly believed that your life would be blessed, if you tithe, you would tithe. If you truly believed that your marriage would be blessed, if you walked in purity, you would walk in purity. Your belief determines your actions. Come on, can you give him some praise if you receive that today? Saul's actions fully indicated his beliefs, withholding, abstaining, disobeying, rebelling in his heart. It was all evident, and he tried to cover it up. He tried to say that he had done what was right, but he didn't. I like this quote. It says, one of the reasons people find it hard to be obedient to the commands of Christ is that they are uncomfortable taking orders from a stranger. Should I read it again? I feel like I should. Okay. One of the reasons people find it hard to be obedient to the commands of Christ is that they are uncomfortable taking orders from a stranger. He is a loving father that wants good for your life. But if you view him as an angry, distant God, you will never fully obey him. You won't accept what he has to say because he can't tell you what to do because he's in fact not a father but a stranger. You keep yourself distant from him when you don't believe what he has actually said about his own character. He loves you. He cares for you. He walks beside you. He is with you. He is not a judgmental God speaking down from heaven at you. He is inside of you, living through you, through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is an intimate, relational God. And when you have that revelation, your actions fall right in line with that belief system. Because you know you can trust him. You know he has your best interest in mind. See, this this concept of obedience can seem very legalistic if you don't view it the right way. But but let's be honest. Like as parents, why do we want our kids to obey? So they could be like little robots and just you know mimic us and do, no no no. We want them to be safe. We want to protect them. And I love this analogy. I heard someone use this recently, that he was saying oftentimes when his kids would question, Dad, why can't I? Dad, it's not fair. Dad, everyone else gets to. I don't see the big deal. What's the problem? He would say, okay, imagine you're on one side of a highway, and I'm on the other, and there's a car parked parallel to you, and you're standing behind this car, but I'm on the other side, and you're waiting for the moment for it to clear so you can cross over, but I'm looking to the left and to the right, and my view is not obstructed. In that moment, would you trust that I can see down the road a little bit more than you can? That is a great example of obedience to Christ. That we can see down the road as parents. We want to keep them from danger. We want to keep them. A good father doesn't want his child to learn a lesson from experience. A good father wants their child to learn a lesson by faith. By belief. Trust me. There's danger. Trust me, I can see what's ahead. Come over when I say so. That is the heart of obedience to our Father. It's trusting that He sees things we don't see. He sees the imminent danger. He sees down the road. He sees the blessing. He sees the potential. He sees the destiny. We have to trust Him and be obedient with a heart that's so full of love and gratitude because we actually truly can get to the place where we know my obedience is so much better than sacrifice. My obedience is not withholding anything from me. There's not one thing I'm missing out on. There's not one thing I wish I could do. You. Call me to obedience because it puts me on the path of your destiny and your purpose and your blessing. Amen? Amen. The V stands for value. John fourteen fifteen says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. What that means is you will value what I value. The things that are important to me will be important to you. Works in marriage. Works with your kids. Did you know that? Did you know that your kids and your spouse spell love T-I-M-E. That when we show that we value what they value, whether it's a Sonic video game, whether it's the newest fidgets (laughs) or squishies or hmm? fidgets. Yeah. Those are the new thing for nine-year-old girls, just so you know. Everyone's nodding their head. They're the biggest deal. Yes. But I know this because Zoe values this greatly in her life. We do many Amazon searches, which takes time because it's something she values. If you love God, to stay in healthy relationship with God, you have to choose to value what he values. Do you value holiness? Or has it become a toxic word to you? Has it become a restraining word to you? Is it an old school phrase? That's the old covenant? I don't think so. Because it's one of the only things that makes us distinct from the world is that we choose to value the highest standard. That we choose to value what God says is righteousness and holiness. Not a watered-down version. Not a version we're comfortable with. The version that's in the Word of God. Not something someone told us. Not something someone tried to explain to us. Something we know for ourselves. What that standard is for our lives. It's its It's biblical, but it's actually it's different for each of us because God has to speak to you. That's why the first thing is that we have to listen. Your liberties might be a stumbling block to someone else. You better check and make sure they're liberties. Do you value holiness? Do you value humility, patience, kindness, not the world's version? Not a self help book version. Not a relationship therapy version. What the Bible says yeah. these things are. Somewhere. Saul carried out a watered down version of what God spoke to him. A version, nonetheless. I mean, it. It was half obedience. You know, he didn't even keep that much. (laughs) It's like, poor guy, where's the grace? Where's the mercy? No, 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 trust me. The grace and the mercy was exacted on Saul, because God knew the destruction he would inevitably face in his life. It was God's grace and God's mercy that he took that mantle off of him when he did. But we have to value what God values. And he was very clear with Saul what he valued. There was a defined line of what he wanted. He got kind of close to the line, but didn't make it all the way. He didn't value it enough. And listen, to stay in love with God. To not fall away like Saul did. To not remove yourself from the blessing and the covenantal relationship like Saul did. You have to value what God values. To stay in love, you have to realize love is not a feeling. It's a decision. It's a choice. And all the married people said, amen. But it's the exact same way with the Lord. It's the gritty, raw choices that we have to make to value what he values. When it's not popular, when it's uncomfortable, when it's inconvenient, when it's boring, when it's bright outside, when it's dark outside and no one can see, we have to value what he values. Do you value what God values? Only you can answer that. Pleasing him over pleasing anyone else. That's how you stay in love. That's how you keep your relationship with him thriving. And E is express. This is so good right here. So Samuel goes to tell Saul that he knows that God is angry, that God is not pleased, that he was disobedient. God has already revealed it to Samuel before he even seesaw, saw, (laughs) -saw. (laughs) seesaw. Please don't put that on the internet. Let's not use that for the podcast. Okay, seesaw, okay. (laughs) Anyway. Verse 13, I think this is really interesting. It says, When Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. That's kind of disturbing. And he says, Hello there, he said. "Well, Well, I have carried out the Lord's command. And then Samuel says, Well, then what are these noises I hear? He says, I hear the bleeding of sheep and the lowing of oxen. And then Saul goes, Well, yeah, that's true. I mean, the army spared the best of the sheep and the oxen, Saul admitted, but they are going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God, and we have destroyed everything else, though. What Saul was saying did not line up with what was true. He was dismissive and deceptive about where he truly was. In his expression... He was one way, but in his heart, he was completely different. And in a healthy relationship, communication is key. We all know that. It's actually one of the very reasons people give for divorce. It's one of the top reasons is that they feel as if communication is cut off and lost. And people give up. They feel isolated. There's mistrust. They feel uh, afraid. They feel alone. But in this situation, Saul does it to himself. We don't know what the outcome would have been if Saul would have immediately gone to Samuel and said, I know, I know. You're only here for one reason. I I, I just know I, I didn't do exactly what God said if he would have humbled himself and expressed a heart of repentance, maybe his story would have been completely different. If he would have expressed the truth of what he was dealing with, the truth of how he failed, the truth of where he went wrong, God could have maybe done something different in his heart. I mean, wasn't Samuel there to tell him something extreme? and tell him what God had already said, but we don't know. We know in Saul's story that he wasn't the guy at first, but the people prayed and demanded, and God said, okay, well, I I gotta find somebody. There was something in Saul's heart originally that God saw fit to make him king. If he could have gotten back to that place in the purity of his heart, to say, I've been wrong. I sinned against God. I did not follow his word. I've been deceived. I've believed a lie. I acted out wrong. If he had gotten to that place, his story very well may have been different. He was supposed to be in the lineage of Christ. He was supposed to be one of the most pivotal parts of human history and his arrogance and his deception canceled him. God could have given him another chance. In fact, he had before, but Saul's heart was already hardened. And my plea to you today is that you keep your heart softened before God. That you recognize that yes, we're all sinners. We all fail. I'm like Paul, the chief of sinners, unqualified, and it's only by Jesus' blood and his grace. And I am grateful for that. But that very thing is what enables me to stay in a healthy, thriving relationship with Jesus, when everything in me wants to go in the opposite direction because of my sin nature, there are moments just like today that we can come to our senses. There are moments like today that we can measure our lives and figure out, am I like Saul in any of these areas? Am I listening to you, God? Am I being obedient, God? Am I valuing what you're valuing? Am I expressing my true heart towards you? Am I repentant? Am I humble before you? Today, could we just take a a second, maybe just all close our eyes. Maybe you could just ask the, the Lord, Lord, what are you saying to me through this message? I wanna be like Samuel, speak for your servant listens. Could you listen just for a second? I just feel like right now the Lord's speaking to someone either in the room or online about unforgiveness that they have. And bitterness that they need to let go of. Someone is feeling guilty about their relationship with their child and the Holy Spirit is just saying, just go to them, admit you were wrong, let them know they're seen and loved and God's gonna restore it. feel like there is someone that's struggling with a secret sin that no one knows about, that you've convinced yourself that because no one knows, it's not hurting anyone, but it's destroying your relationship with the Lord. And here's your moment. Here's your chance. Repent and get clean before the Lord. Let his blood wash you clean. It's not our efforts, it's our beliefs. And even now, if you truly begin to believe he loves you, he accepts you, he wants a relationship with you, this can be a defining moment that changes you forever. thank you Lord thank you Jesus we thank you for that Lord we thank you for speaking to us all over this building everyone listening online that I love that you can take one word and divide it so that it means something unique and special and revelatory to each person listening. I thank you that you're doing a deep work in our hearts, God, at City of Life. We thank you for your move. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.